Out in the gym, we have sign-ups for Stephen Ministry. Actually, as you know, I've only been here for a few weeks as the new lead pastor, but I've had a handful of people walk up to me and say, you don't know how important and uh, how amazing Stephen Ministry is, not only in this church, but as we're seeing nationwide. And so if this is, it's your time to really plug in, not only to the church, but also be raised up to bring pastoral care to people around you. This this is such a great ministry and an incredible opportunity. So make sure that you make your way out into the gym to do just that. I love being a part of a church where we equip the people to do the work of the ministry. That's what it's all about, right? And so this is what we are doing. And I want to say to you as, uh, as the lead pastor that um, I genuinely am excited every week as we move into the weekend. So if you're getting that from me and it's contagious, I hope so. Because it's absolutely genuine, and um, I was praying a few days ago, and I don't always get a phrase from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I see a picture. A lot of times it's scripture. I read scripture every day. I journal in my, uh, out of my scripture reading every single day. And so God obviously speaks to me in the word and through the word. But I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me, and I want to share it with you. The Holy Spirit said to me, that um, he's doing something special here. And, and I know that that means among us. And it, he didn't mean me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not gonna internalize all that I believe he was saying. The Holy Spirit, God is doing something special here. And when, when you have something special, you, it's like if I were to have something special, something precious or even valuable, and I were holding that in my hands, you know, you hold it, in a, in a very, in, you hold it in a way that's, that's in keeping with what it is that you're holding. You, you're, you're careful. You know what I'm saying? You're careful with it. And, and I really sense that the Lord wanted me to carry into this season this, this special thing. We're, we're, we're all together holding something very special in this season. God is doing something. And don't you want to be a part of it? I want to be a part of it. I really do. And, and I am a part of it. Yeah. Amen. I am a part of it. So... Something that I didn't do last week and I didn't really have the time to do, but I wanted to make sure that I did and take the liberty to do, especially as I'm three weeks in here as, as the lead pastor of Northwest Church, is show you a picture of my family and explain our family dynamics. So if I could get that picture up here, because I don't want you to guess or try to figure it out. I want to just sort of tell you what we have going on in our home. Obviously, next to me is my beautiful wife, Bridget. She's on the front row here tonight. We've been married for 15 years. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and so, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Hopefully, you were clapping. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, my wife was a uh, single teenage mom, and she'll hopefully tell her story. I can't wait for her to share her story with you and God's redemption in her life, our life together. But this is uh, her son and now obviously my stepson and has been for, for those 15 years. Isaiah is the uh, one in the back on the right. He's 26 years old. He's the youth pastor of our previous church uh, where we came from. And this is Avante. He's 24. He'll be 25 soon. Actually, Isaiah will be 27 in January. Can you believe that? Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. Look at us. I don't know. It's awesome. That's Isaiah. That's Avante. 
And this is our daughter, Azariah. She's 13. And this is our son, Judah. He's right here. He's 11. And I just wanted to share with you that. So when Bridget and I were married, I was 24. She was 27. And I adopted her two boys and was able, had the privilege of raising them alongside my wonderful wife. And uh, we are blessed to have a blended family. And I hope to share a lot of the story of what God has done, especially if you have a blended family. I want you to know you're not alone. If you're a single parent, you're not alone. We've had to walk through some of these things. And this is an increasing thing in our society today. And let me just tell you something. Jesus is always the answer for the situations that we face. And he is always enough, no matter what we're walking through. Come on, somebody. That's not a good enough amen. All right. That's the truth. So I wanted to uh, also, I wanted to share with you, uh, and you don't have to say amen after every good point, although it doesn't hurt. You know, it doesn't hurt. Just not an awkward amen. You know, every now and again, there's an awkward amen. It's just the wrong time, the wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. A lot of mistakes are going to happen. This is a big one. I admit it. This is Laura. This is our daughter-in-law. Isaiah and Laura are married. I got to officiate their wedding two years ago. Uh, it was a great blessing. Yep. And so, uh, and she just turned 26, seven. She just turned 27 uh, Friday. Yeah, yesterday. Awesome. So um, we're, we're super proud of all of our kids. We love them very much. They're not perfect, and we know that. They're just like us. So anyways, I hope that you get to meet all of them at some point and they get to meet you, that would be a blessing to us. I wanted to explain one last thing and hopefully I don't make another mistake while I'm up here. It might happen. But I wanted to explain something. As we come here to be, as I come to be the lead pastor at Northwest Church, uh, sometimes you'll hear pastors Ben and Bridget. And when the Lord calls a family or a couple, he certainly calls that family to be a pastoral family of a church. But I just wanted to make it really clear that uh, we're not co-pastoring. It's okay if you say Pastor Bridget or whatever, but we're not co-pastors of the church. Um, I have the assignment to be the lead pastor and she's uh, my wonderful, faithful, incredible rock of a wife, and she could run the world. But it's important to know that she's not licensed or ordained as a pastor. And in our home, what we've discussed and prayed through is that if the Lord calls her to be a pastor, I'll be the first one in line to champion her. But I don't want her to feel the pressure to be someone or to do something that God has not told her to do. And so in our home, we follow the voice of the Lord and not the pressure of anyone else. And so I'm not saying that to you for any other reason than just to explain it doesn't matter. Sometimes we get names wrong and titles wrong and all that, but I just think it's so important that we set a precedence for who we are and how we come here. We, we're honestly um, just a brother and sister, you know, in this community as we are a family together. Amen? And I just wanted you to, to know my heart on that, and it's really important, but she is more fantastic than me, and I'll admit that right now. Hey, open your Bible to a lot of different places. If you want to, you can to Mark chapter 14. You may remember this last week, I began a sermon series that's probably going to be at least six weeks long, and I'm calling it Possessing the Heart of Christ. Last week, I discussed the issue of shame, breaking the shackles of shame in our life through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection speaks a better and more powerful word than any of our shame. And I talked to you about that, and then my, I just want to say my goal with this series is to encourage us to navigate the issues that we all face with the same heart, the same attitude, and the same mindset 
of Jesus Christ. It's the name of Jesus on our lips and the nature of Jesus in our hearts. This is what we pursue. And sometimes as Pentecostals, I'm not sort of assuming that's you, but as a charismatic, as a Pentecostal Christian, believes in the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we're all about the power and, uh, and, and we put the virtue of Jesus, the character of Jesus on the side, not us. We believe as we pursue the fullness of his power, we also pursue the fullness of his character. When we say we want to be, we want to be like Jesus, that needs to mean something, and not just to us, but the people that live around us. So I'm going straight at the heart, and I'm going to go deeper and deeper and deeper as the weeks progress. And today, my message is entitled, Possessing an Unoffendable Heart. Possessing an Unoffendable Heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would give us revelation from the scripture tonight. God, I pray for every person in this room, every person that's watching by live stream, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, but most importantly, give us the vision to be like Jesus in every way in our life. Use tonight for your glory and prodding us along to walk in the image that you've created in us in which our, our image that we see and our goal is to be like Jesus. It's not just to be a good person, Lord. We want to be like your son. Help us to do just that and use tonight for that purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. amen. I, a few years ago, I was reading a passage of scripture. You might ask the question, where did you come up with this message? It wasn't, uh, it's not a, I'm not trying to sermonize you. I actually came, this message came to me by revelation. Not all of it. I wouldn't call this all God. But this, this message initially came to me by a revelation from the Lord, and I was reading a specific passage, which I want to share with you. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 17, and uh, this is a very important moment, the context of this, during the Last Supper, or we would say the last Passover, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he waits until the very last minute during the evening, and this is what, this is what happens in verse 17, Mark 14. It says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And I want you to pay attention to this part of the verse. They began to be grieved and they said to him, one by one, surely it's not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, the one who dips with me in the bowl. And if you follow the story, it's obviously Judas and then he scatters. And sets out to betray the Son of God. Now the context here is very rich. It's very deep. But I want to point out something that, that we can often miss in the latter part of this verse. That Jesus waited until the very last moment on the night he was betrayed to reveal the traitor among them. Notice how the announcement stunned the disciples. I, I just think this is a profound thing for us to see. When he said, one of you is going to betray me. None of them knew who it was. Now that says something about how Jesus lived. He had full knowledge of who was going to betray him. And he carried that for three years or two and a half years, however long the disciples were alongside him. He carried the knowledge, the full knowledge of the one that would betray him. And he went all the way up until the last moment on the last night before he was betrayed to reveal that knowledge that he had. And when he said it, I know that someone's going to betray me None of them knew who it was, which means that he lived for a couple years without giving any indication that Judas Iscariot was a betrayer. And when I read that, something gripped my heart and I just said out loud, out loud with words to God, I said, I don't live like that. 
I don't live like that. In all of my prayers that I've prayed, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to live like you. I want to serve like you. I want to, something's happening over here. I want to speak like you. <laughs> something's turned on over here. We might want to turn that off. It's very important. I think it's the Bible. Uh, the, the U version of the Bible got turned on. No worries, guys. It happens. <laughs> Silence your phones, please, at this time. That would be a thing there. No problem. I saw this, though. And I'd read this many times in many of the different gospel accounts, but I just said out loud to the Lord, I don't live like that. Jesus, instead of carrying an offense toward Judas and revealing that to the point where others would have known, instead of that, he carried love in his heart toward Judas and he loved Judas. And I had this revelation in my heart, I want to live like that. I want to live in such a way where, I mean, because here's the picture, okay? If I were Jesus in this scenario, and I say at the Last Supper, the last moment of the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me, I am positive that every person would have turned their head to Judas. <laughs> I am certain of it. Every person would have went, Zzzt. we know who it is. There's no casting of lots. There's no drawing of straws. It just is what it is. And I know that's that's a chasm between how I am sometimes and how he is. He's the trajectory. He's the goal. We want to be like him. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28 and 29, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then Paul goes on to say what his purpose is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In Genesis 1.26, it says we were created in the image of God. And sin came into our story in Genesis 3 and caused us to lose what it is that we were created for. And we began to behave in a way that we were not, that God didn't create us to behave. Jesus comes, gives his life, and for those that put their faith and trust in him and repent from their self-willed ways and turn to him wholeheartedly, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and he is prodding us along to become like Jesus, who is the visible representation of the invisible God. And I say all that to say this, our goal as Christians is not to be good people. It is not to be good parents. It is not to be good husbands or wives. It is to become Christ-like people. It is to look like Jesus in the world that we live in. It is to become Christ-like parents, Christ-like husbands, Christ-like wives, Christ-like people. He is our goal. We want to be like him and nothing less. And so, oh, you can clap for that, yeah. Jesus was not a man that carried an offense everywhere that he went. And he certainly could have, but he didn't. Now, I want to read to you what I've written in your notes. We live in a world that has seemingly normalized and legitimized being offended. At some point, we all feel the pressure to say one thing or not say another. And if we somehow fail to comply, then an offended party is soon to follow. This is normal. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Of course you do. Sure, real sins lead to real offense, and we deal with that specifically and directly as the Bible teaches, which I will talk about next week. However, what about our perceptions, expectations, and even the interpretations of what is going on around us? Should we be offended by everything going on around us, or should we adhere to a higher standard as we follow Jesus? What is our voice 
Jesus Christ, his spirit is the voice prodding us along, convicting us, convincing us of what it is that he has for us. This is so vital. It is my conviction that Jesus calls his followers to pursue and possess unoffendable hearts hearts, even in the midst of an offensive world. Jesus is not only the payment for my sins, but he is also the pattern for my life. And as we can see from Scripture, he was not easily offended, nor did he carry offenses. Therefore, possessing an unoffendable heart is our commitment to become Christ-like in the way we act, interact, and react to people in the situations of life. When we don't cultivate this kind of a heart, we can see from Proverbs 18, 19 what that looks like. And it says, an offended brother or sister is more unyielding than a fortified city. I want you to think about a fortified city. An offended brother or sister is more unyielding than a fortified city. Think of strong walls, strong walls, impenetrable. This is what it's like when we become offended in the lives of one another, in the world that we live in. You can't get in. We're not accessible. You, you, we can't hear very well. We can't see very well because we have all of these walls up in the life that we live. But Psalm 119 verse 165 gives us a vision for our life. And it says this, those who love your law have great peace. Listen to this, and nothing causes them to stumble. Don't you want this to be true of your life? This is one of those verses you put on the mirror in your bathroom or your car or wherever, and you can say this. It's not where I'm at, but it's where I want to be. It's the vision for my life. Nothing causes me to stumble. And I don't just want to say that when I get a hangnail or somebody cuts me off in traffic, although some of us might struggle a little bit with that. (laughs) But what about the greater issues of life? We're talking about the weightier things even. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It It is to his glory to overlook an offense. And you know, when I read this, what I think, I think when a person is able to be gracious in their life, they're able to overlook an offense and it says something about who they are. When we're people that have a bigger grace bubble, all right, it says something about who we are. Don't you want your grace bubble to grow? And I know some of us are seething a little bit when we talk like this, like, what about truth? What about, what about speaking the truth? Hey, listen, we're going to get there. But don't get there ahead of me just yet. Amen? Let me say it to you like this. What if we have to talk a lot about forgiveness and, it, and we're always having to forgive people because we want to be good Christians. We want to be Christ-like people. So when someone offends me and someone wounds me, someone says what they shouldn't say or does what they shouldn't do, I forgive them, Pastor Ben. I, I'm really good at forgiving. Jesus forgave me and I'm going to forgive them and, 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 and that's the person that I'm going to be. What if we're living our life in such a way that we're offended by the perception of what people are doing, which necessitates an overabundance of our need to forgive people when in reality, if we could grow and become more gracious and see people in such a way where maybe they're not offending me, maybe they're not sinning against me, maybe I'm actually so sensitive in the life that I live that I get offended by almost everything and people around me have to walk eggshells on eggshells around me. How many of you want to be the kind of person that everybody else knows they have to walk like they're walking on eggshells around your life? Who wants to be that person? No hands were raised. No, you don't. Ma'am, I think you didn't mean that. (laughs) I didn't say that the right way. I'll correct my grammar. 
<laughs> I'm just, I'll buy you coffee. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's on me. That was my fault. Do you, nobody wants to be that kind of a person, but let me ask you this. What if it was true? What if it was true that I was the kind of person that everyone around me had to walk so carefully because they thought, man, if I just say that one thing, you know, Pastor Ben's going to get upset. Hey, if I just do that one thing, you just, hey, you just never know. He's kind of, he's woo, he's kind of, you know, I don't think he's all Pentecostal. I think there's something else going on there. <laughs> don't you want your grace bubble to grow? I, this is the vision. I want people to be able, be able to settle into my love for them because it's like Jesus. I want people to be able to trust that if they say something to me the wrong way, or maybe they didn't mean it, that they know I'm not going to label them accordingly. Isn't that important to you? Like, I want you to be able to trust that you can mess up in front of me and not mean it, and it's like, hey, no worries. And you're sitting there going, oh, what does he think about me? And I'm walking away thinking about going to get coffee. I'm not even thinking about it. Because my grace bubble is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Don't you want to be like that? I want to be like Jesus, and I think, I just don't think Jesus walked around getting offended all the time. Well, I want to do two things, actually three things tonight. The first, I want to talk to you a little bit about the sources of the offended heart. Why do we get offended? Okay, it's really important that we identify why we get offended. And then I I want to talk about the path to the unoffendable heart. Okay, Ben, I know why I get offended. Then how do I get free from that place? How do I grow beyond where I'm at? And then if I have time, I'm going to share with you some specific declarations that I wrote to help my own life. And you're welcome to use them or pray over them or adopt them into your own life as well. So the first thing is the sources of the offended heart. And the first one is very simple. We get offended because we are sinned against. I'm not suggesting that we're just oversensitive. We can be oversensitive in ways that maybe we shouldn't. But what I am saying is that sometimes, legitimately, people sin against us and it is offensive. Okay, that's the first reason why we get offended. And I'm not suggesting otherwise. But I am saying that there are times where somebody didn't sin against us, but we get offended. And that's the stuff we want to grow in. When people sin against us, the Bible gives us a prescription of how it is that we're to respond. Look what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, and this is underlined in my Bible, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. This is the prescription. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Why? Because love is stronger than what someone does to me. Why? Because it's God's love. It's not the world's love. It's not society's love. It's not love, love, love. I just love you. It's not that. It's agape. It's God's love that the Bible says in Romans 5 has been poured out into my heart through the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit pours out love in our hearts, it is stronger than what comes against us in our life. And we can be sure that that is exactly how it is. And we lean in to God's love when stuff comes against us in our life. And we legitimately are sinned against. And as a result, we're wounded and an offense comes. I'm not minimizing the pain. I know people um, may be hearing me and it's like, what about my pain? It's, it's real serious. I get that. You, you, we all have to walk our walk. No, next week I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness, and I talk about forgiveness is progressive. You know, it doesn't just go away overnight because we're happy clappy. I, I understand that some pain needs to be walked out over a period of time as we lean into Jesus and receive what he has um, for our life in order to apply it 
in the situations that we face. I understand some things are harder than others, but this is what Peter says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I just happen to believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? So then, even though it's hard, we have to believe that this is powerful enough to help us. If not initially, come on somebody, eventually. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. (laughs) Number two, we have sin in our own lives. It's going to get deep. It's going to get deep. Here's the thing. Maybe you were up for a promotion at work. And, uh, and, and you're, you get there early, you stay late, you work hard, just work, 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 and you were counting on it. Maybe that's happened in your life. And, uh, and, then, and then Sally, somebody, or Johnny, Johnny, whoever his name is, he slides in, she slides in, and, and they somehow get the promotion that you were up for, okay? This is just a fictitious scenario. And they end up getting that promotion. They end up getting that thing that you thought you were in line for. And you're legitimately, I'm legitimately disappointed. You ever been disappointed? Okay, disappointment is very, very real, but it also has a real voice. And it, sometimes it's like a pit bull. It just can gra- grab, a, you feel that? Just can grab a hold of you. And grab a hold of you and start shaking you around. That disappointment can grip you. And now Johnny somebody and Sally someone, they never did anything to me. They never sinned against me. Um, they've never personally offended me, but I don't like Sally somebody. And I don't, I don't like Johnny somebody because, you know, they took what I was supposed to have. And my disappointment all of a sudden starts to well up inside of me. And that offense that I start to take on, I now project against them. Instead of celebrating them, instead of becoming a witness of Jesus to them when I'm in the hallway or at lunchtime, God's called me to be a witness in his mission. I completely cut off what Jesus has called me to be to the people around me because I'm allowing that disappointment to become an offense towards somebody that's it's never even done anything to me. Somebody say sin. sin. That's jealousy. That's what that is. That can be jealousy. That can be pride. It comes out of a legitimate disappointment. But if we don't stop it where it is, it will start to build and grow in our life. And now we are disliking someone in our life that Jesus has called us to love. And it cuts off our witness in their lives. We have sin in our life. Jealousy, pride, envy, selfishness, these kinds of things. We have to have a vibrant relationship with God just day in, day out in his word. And he continually softens us and he can help us walk through our disappointments. You're going to have them. In fact, here's what I will guarantee all of us tonight. And the longer you live, the more you know this better than I do. We are going to be disappointed in this life. We are going to have difficulty in this life. You know, there there are people that preach a gospel where it's like you're never going to have a bad day. It's like, you know, your relationships are going to be perfect and your finances are going to be full and everything's going to be. It's like, okay, (laughs) what planet do you live on, you know? (laughs) It's not real. God will always take care of us. God will always provide for us. Amen. And when God increases us, it's not for us. It's for the sake of his kingdom. So there's legitimacy to some of those principles, but they get twisted when they get turned on self. But this thing about our relationships being perfect, you know how many disillusioned Christians there are out there? You know, the world does not need any more disillusioned, offended Christians. The world needs us to look like the one we are following. 
And we have to get a hold of our sin if that's what's going to happen. Because they need to see that this is real. That we're dealing with our disappointments. Not that we don't have them, but we deal with them differently. We process them through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we receive the power of the Spirit. And He walks us through it. Not around it, not over it. But He walks us right through our pain and disappointment and our difficulty. And He gives us what we need when we need it. I always say this, there's, it's not, I don't believe that there's good days and bad days. Every day is a day of grace. Some days we receive the grace to endure, and some days we receive the grace to enjoy, but it is all God's grace. Yes. Everything that we do, we breathe, and it's the grace of God. Oh, I'm preaching to you. Come on, somebody. He's <laughs> feeling it. Spirit. Put me on television, you know. Sorry. You don't have to clap, though, but it's... Number three, we have false expectations. False expectations are where we place exaggerated, unrealistic, assumptive expectations on someone and we are let down because they don't fulfill what we think they should do. When we expect our friends, our spouses, our pastors to fulfill our every need, they will inevitably fall short. As we talked about last week, there's only one perfect person and it isn't your spouse, so breathe. <laughs> It's not your friend. It's definitely not your pastor. We must be aware of this if we're going to have an unoffendable heart. The power of our expectations, or I should say our false expectations, can choke out the blessing of personal relationship. Suppose that instead of burdening people with our expectations, we learn to appreciate them for themselves, no strings attached. Now think about this, because I get debates about this stuff all the time, or I should say regularly. It's almost like, well, you know, I think this is a reasonable expectation, Pastor Ben. I think this is reasonable. I set a reasonable expectation, and they didn't meet it. Now, here's the thing. I believe in speaking the truth in love, and I believe in processing things with people, which, again, we're going to keep talking about this. I'm not going to solve every problem in one sermon. I do believe in speaking to people and not about people. That would save a lot of us a lot of heartache. This is important, speaking the truth in love as we grow up in him. This is important. But I think it's also even or as important that we place the highest expectation on us becoming Christ-like rather than other pe people meeting or fulfilling everything that we want or think that they should do. No, no, seriously. What if the greatest expectation that we had in our life was that no matter how you treat me or no matter what you do, whether you fail or succeed, my greatest expectation is that I become Christ-like no matter what happens in life. How would our life change? How would our life change? I think it would cause us to be less offended. Now, would we speak the truth? I think we would probably be a lot more straight shooters in the room. <laughs> We would say what we got to say. We would speak our mind, but then right alongside it, we would say, hey, you know what? This stuff happens. I'm just asking that you wouldn't do this. This, this hurt me. We learned a process together. It's really, really, really vital that we do speak the truth in love. But what if our greatest expectation was for us to grow no matter what happens? I just, man, that, that, that seems like a vision. That seems like a vision to me. Expectations can seem legitimate in uh, different aspects of relationship, but they can also cause us to be quite disappointed when people fall short. And we do this to our spouses. If you're married in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's what we do in marriage. I love you. Here's what we do in marriage. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure we're okay. You understand? You got to do check-ins pretty regularly. Okay, I think we're good. All right, so 
I think it's an unreasonable expectation to assume that your spouse knows what you're thinking. Right? I think it's unreasonable. But you know what? We'll convince ourselves that it's a reasonable expectation. Well, you know what? He should have known. He should have known. You know, maybe he should have. I don't know. Whatever happened to good old communication? This is, listen, we, can st- we, start to, we start to build something on the inside of us, don't we? Don't we? You could just see it. I, mean, I meet with married couples and half the time, I don't know what to say. Here's the, here's the secret. I don't know what to say half the time. I'm like, Lord, would you help me right now? I have no idea what to say. A lot of times it's repentance is what we need. It's if we can humble ourselves and repent, the both of us, not just have a giver and a taker or a taker and a taker. Th- those, those two ingredients don't work. You have to have a giver and a giver. That's a Christian relationship. But we have to come to a place of reasonable, real expectations. And when we get let down, we have a greater expectation to become Christ-like. And yes, we process those things in the midst of it. But marriage is such a training ground, isn't it? It just is. Number four, we are presumptuous, I would say, at times. Uh, Making assumptions or jumping to conclusions about people or situations, it doesn't always pan out well. And there's a saying about assumptions I can't say in church, and I won't say it, but... Some of you backslid right there. We know what we're talking about. (laughs) And here's what we do. We think we know why people said what they said, and we believe we know why people did what they did. And you know, we can be wrong. I know why you said that. No, you don't. I know why he did that. I know why she did that. There's one who knows the motives of all, and it's not... How many times have you been wrong about someone or even that someone that's close to you. You prescribed a motive to their heart and you ended up being wrong. How foolish is that at the end of the day? We realize that I was, I was prescribing motive to someone and I just was way off base. It's, I mean, Jesus talks about, we judge with righteous judgment. And I, listen, this is so important that we learn in the midst of our assumptions to ask questions. Sometimes all we got to do is just ask people questions. When you get offended, you just do this. Hey, you know what? I, I maybe didn't take that the right way. Could you explain what you meant when you said dot, dot, dot? Could you explain what you meant when you said I had a massive head? I just, I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think I fully captured what was in your heart when you felt the need to tell me that my head is massive. I'm not, so if you could do that, that would be, that would be a blessing to me. For legitimately, I'm exaggerating and being funny, but this is how it works. One offense can build walls in our life. And what I'm most concerned about in, in sharing this with you is that we have our unfolding destiny out here. God has called us on mission with him to bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. And we cut ourselves off from fulfilling what God has called us to do because we have offended hearts. And you can't tell me it's not true. I see so many people stuck because of the way that they perceive everyone else around them. And let me just say, I don't think anybody really wants to stay there. And so I'm going to, I believe this is spiritual warfare right now. What I'm talking about, and I'm bringing funny into it, not because I'm trying to be funny, I'm just a little goofy. It's actually really heavy. 
when we talk about this kind of stuff, it's spiritual warfare. It's like kicking the devil in the teeth. Because if we can get set free from being offended people and we can be filled with God's love, what would a people like us do in Federal Way and Tacoma and beyond if we were so filled with God's love, we were not afraid of what was going to happen when we extend ourselves out to the world that's around us? We have no fear. What would happen? What would happen? I'm not even worried about what's, what someone's going to say to me or what they might do if I step out. I, I just think that we would turn the world upside down. I think we would turn the world upside down. Number five, and finally, we have past wounds. When we are wounded by someone or something, we have a tendency to project that wound into current situations and relationships. And I have lots of stories about this. I was on a ministry team for a period of time in a previous church, obviously. And um, so it's not any of you, but I was on a ministry team and there was a person on that team that just, they always came off like they never liked me. And you know, when someone doesn't like you, in those days at least, I was a lot younger. I'm young, but I was a lot younger. And I had the tendency to just want to maybe try to be somebody else then. Okay, if you don't like who I am, let me try to be somebody else. And then they didn't like the person that I was trying to be, nor the person that I was. And so that didn't go very well. And so for a year, I'm on this team with this person who I perceive just doesn't like me. The way that they talk to me, the way that they talk about me, the way that they treat me, just was, it, was not, it was not awesome. None of it. And so um, I remember it was probably, yeah, about 12 months, a year into it, maybe a little shorter. I was, my pastor asked me to preach the main service, and it was a terrible sermon. I mean, it was just not great. This person walked up to me after the sermon, and they said, hey, I'm, I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and, and I said, well, why? I did the Christian thing. Well, why? Why are you? What is it? I, I, I didn't notice anything. What, what's wrong? <laughs> I couldn't. What is it? Are you okay? <laughs> and she said to me, you know, I haven't liked you. And I have never known why. And while you were preaching this morning, in my mind, I just saw a picture of my brother right next to you, and you looked just like him. And what God did is he opened up this moment of redemption to bring healing to her with her brother, and I was, I was just this person who, and I do look like her brother, I was just this person that she was projecting her past wound onto me. See, she was carrying an offense in a relationship that she had, and anything that reminded her of this person that she had an offense with, she projected onto them. That's a real thing. That really happens. We can do this. If maybe you got offended by a man, you can project this into men. Maybe you got offended by a woman, you can project this onto women. Maybe you got affected and offended in a church, and you project it onto the church. This is where people will start to say, the church and we'll talk about a billion people, like a billion people offended us. I don't know. I go to Walmart and get offended. Am I going to stop shopping at Walmart? No, they're rolling back those prices. <laughs> this is rolling back. They're dialing, dialing it back. See, where we get offended and how we get offended, if we don't deal with that wound with Jesus... We will walk around with these wounds in our life and we will just project them 
onto people. And those people will feel something, but they won't know what's going on. And we have, this is the whole thing about surrender, coming before God and asking him to evaluate our heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And if there's something in me, Lord, would you root it out? Would you root it out? And we're not afraid to stand in front of the mirror and get honest with God. When you're not afraid to stand in front of the mirror and get honest with God, freedom is knocking at your door. That's where real freedom starts. Oh, it's powerful. Past wounds. How do we get onto the unoffendable path, Ben? All of that stuff just sounds kind of discouraging. Well, you're right. It is. And so there is a way that we cultivate an unoffendable heart. And the first way we do that is we need to give our heart to Jesus. The Bible gives us this beautiful picture that when we give our heart to Jesus, that he exchanges it. He gives us a new heart. He writes his law on our hearts. And now our life is all about living out of the new nature of the new heart that Jesus has given us. We call this regeneration. We are born again. We have a new nature and we're learning to live out of what God has done in our life through the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We learn to live by the Spirit. When we give our heart to Jesus, it is then and only then that we can live in the new nature that the Bible calls us to. I'm not suggesting that this is overnight, and I'm not suggesting that this is something we can do in our own strength. The only way that we can actually have a heart that is not offended in the situations that, of life is that we follow Jesus into every situation of life and that we live out of that nature that he's given to us. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about gritting your teeth. I'm not talking about trying harder. I'm not talking about old-time religion. I am talking about a spirit-transformed, spirit-led life that looks more and more like Jesus. It's by his power. Number two, we must choose the heart of Christ when we are offended. We're called to follow Jesus, live like Jesus, respond like Jesus. What was his heart? Luke chapter 23 verse 33 says, When they came to the place called the skull, you know the picture of his crucifixion. There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus actually speaks ignorance over the people that are crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't actually know what they're doing. What if we had this kind of a heart? I mean, I sort of think that at times my heart is, Father, smite them for they should have known what they was doing. <laughs> right? Anybody like me? <laughs> Father, forgive them. They, they don't know. What if people don't know sometimes? What if people don't even know why they act the way they act? What if people don't know why they do some of the things that they do? And our grace bubble was big enough to consider that. And that would be a powerful way of living, wouldn't it be? That it really would. Number three, we must monitor and maintain our emotional responses. What, what, what do I mean by that is, for me, when I get embarrassed, sometimes I'll say something I shouldn't say. I don't know what it is for you, but embarrassment since I was a kid. When, when I get embarrassed, something will come out of me and I have, to, I have to quickly grab a hold of it or my face will light up a little bit. And I've, I'm learning to hold it in, right? Your, your heart, is, it's like a, there's like a thermometer in there, you know? And you have to be able to monitor what's going. This is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount and it's so important that we get this. Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, 
then you have already committed the sin of? What's the principle? Because truthfully, if I hate someone in my heart, I actually physically haven't committed murder. What he's getting at, in my opinion, is that he is saying murder, an outward act of violence, starts with an inward seed that is cultivated. This act that's so grotesque, that's something the judicial system has to deal with, that's something that everybody looks at and goes, that is evil. What, what, what Jesus is talking about is it starts in the heart where no one can see it. And it gets cultivated over a period of time, never dealt with, never given to Jesus. And this small, this seed, this thing, I just, I just hate that person. That thing starts to turn us into something. And the unthinkable is all, all of a sudden presented and, and we'll do things that we never thought that we would do. I spent two years ministering to people in prisons. And I met a lot of good men and I met a lot of good women that are locked up right now who made one choice because they allowed something to happen inside of them that got cultivated over a period of time and a moment where they lashed out. And there's still people that have remorse for what they did, just like me and just like you. What did they do? They let something on the inside of them go too far and then they couldn't control it. The beast came out. Jesus gives us a clue. If there's something in your heart, don't allow it to remain just like that because it won't stay like that. If you allow, allow it to remain like that, it won't stay like that. And this is something that Jesus can help us with. So we have to monitor and maintain. We got to know who we are and how we are so that we can quickly move towards being led by the Holy Spirit in situations that continue to come up. Number four, we need to become aware of our internal dialogue. And what I mean by that is what, what is the commentary in your, in your heart? What do you say about people? It's like, I don't, Pastor Ben, I don't gossip. But what do you say about people inside of you that doesn't come out of your mouth? It starts in here. And it, are you cultivating something on the inside that isn't something you want people to hear on the outside? Right? And this is where Jesus brought it to the heart. It's not just the sin of our hands, but it's also the sin of our heart. We don't just have sins. Those are actions. We all have this condition called sin. It's a condition. It's a sickness, like something that infects our blood. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for me cheating and stealing and lying and lusting, although that, that is true. He died for the entire condition and the root system from which all of those actions spring from. Let's go ahead and magnify what it is that Jesus paid a price for. He paid a price for the behemoth of the sin condition. He could uproot that thing. And so then we could live a new life that looks more like him. We get confused about this. It's like, we think it's like he just paid a price for the little things that I do. And some of us are a little better than others. Maybe you live a little bit more virtuous life than I do. But that is not what this was about. He paid for the sin condition that everybody is born into. And this is so important that we become aware of our internal dialogue. I'm bringing it back because this stuff starts inside. I've already said that. I've beat the horse. It is dead. <laughs> Number five, we must bless and pray for those that offend us. I remember uh, Jesus actually says in Luke 6, 27, but I say to you, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. If somebody is mistreating us in our life, we need to pray for them. Being a biblical Christian means we actually employ the Bible when things happen in our life. 
You can memorize the Bible, but if you don't practice it, that's not being a biblical Christian. A biblical Christian responds. They hear and they obey. And Jesus said, when someone mistreats you, pray for them. Amen. We have to pray. We have to pray. There was a guy who spoke really ill of me. Uh, I don't know why, honestly, because uh, I'm so fantastic. <laughs> but um, I don't know. He had a bunch of negative things to say about me, and I've never done anything to him. This was years ago. And so my friend, one of my close friends, told me that this person said these things, these really, really negative, harmful things about me in their presence. And this is a really close friend of mine who wouldn't lie. So I did what I think we all should do. I went to that person. I actually took them out to coffee. And I said, hey, Johnny so-and-so, I'll protect the guilty here. Did you say X, Y, and Z? And he said, no, I didn't say any of that. Ben, I think you're great. And we went into flattery mode for a couple seconds. I think you're great. I think you walk on water. I think you're amazing. I think I would never say anything like that. And so now I'm conflicted because I got one of my closest friends who's told, who told me that this person said all these really horrible things about me. And now I confront that person in love and give them an opportunity to hear what they have to say. I was very, I, I try to be humble about it. And they said, no, 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 I didn't say any of those things I, and denied it. So I'm left in this conflict, and I go, okay, well, I have to believe you. So, okay, thank you, for, thank you for clearing that up. I didn't see that person for a couple months. I found myself in a worship service, very similar to what we have here tonight. And I think I'm on row six, seven, or eight, somewhere back here, like one, one of you guys back here on the, on the aisle row, just like you guys like to be. I was right, just like Taylor. And, uh, and the, worship's, the worship's going, and I'm, you know, I, I'm active in worship. I'm, I'm, I'm moving and I got my eyes closed and I'm, I'm doing it all. And then all of a sudden my eyes open and that guy after three months walks right by me. And I don't know why. It's not a fair to you Italian people, but I got this like little mafia guy on my shoulder. <laughs> He's a, I grew up wanting to, I like the mafia movie. I don't watch them anymore. I just want you to know. Sanctified, saved, delivered. Uh, but <laughs> I, I when as a kid, I was really drawn to the, to the mafia movies. It's a terrible confession. I am very sorry. And if you're Italian, I'm very sorry. <laughs> But I got this little guy on my shoulder, and he's like, hey, boss, you want me to break legs? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm like, you know? It's like, you know? Anybody? <laughs> like, hey, hey. And he's just, and I'm like, no, no, not right now. Not right now. No, no, stop talking to me. I see him, and I honestly had that, that, that whole surge came up. It just, and I had dealt with it. I'd forgiven him before the Lord. I dealt with it with him. But that thing started to flare up. That offense started to flare up, and I... I wasn't worshiping Jesus anymore at that point. Let me just tell you, I'm trying to find a way out of this thing. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is the moment where I want you to practice following me. Not just in the Bible study, sat down studying the book of John. This is the moment where I want you to practice following me. I found that worship in that moment was not about singing the song, but it was about speaking life over this person. I started to do what it says here in Luke chapter 6. Father, I thank you that you love this man. I thank you that you'll bless him. I thank you, Lord, for his family. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what's going on in his life, you're the answer. And I pray you would give him revelation, Lord. I thank you that you would pour out your spirit on his life. I started doing what Jesus said, and I received a breakthrough in my heart. Amen. And this little guy was, bing, he was gone, because that's the flesh, when you walk in the spirit, you have to make a choice. And we're presented with choices. 
Walking in the Spirit is not like walking on clouds. You know, I don't know what people picture walking in the Spirit is like. A lot of times walking in the Spirit is there's a moment in time where you're presented with a choice. Are you going to choose the flesh or are you going to choose the Spirit? But you have a choice. We have a choice. And this is what we often do. Now, here's what I want to do and I'm going I'm to close. I want to share with you some declarations that I wrote because I'm like you and you're like me. I want to be like Jesus in my life and I recognize that I fall short regularly. And so as I cultivate uh, a heart where I, I mean, I'm seeking to possess an unoffendable heart, I wrote these things out. These are from my pen. I pray these in my life. I ask God to make these true in my life and I want to share them with you and you can adopt them in your prayer life if you want to. But I think these actually will help us in going after what I'm talking about. Number one, the Bible teaches that human nature is corrupted by sin. Therefore, I will not be offended when someone mistreats me. Now, this is the fun part. In fact, I will be pleasantly surprised and thankful for any show of kindness toward me. Why? Because the Bible says that our hearts are corrupted by sin. So to see anything otherwise is quite a blessing. It's a renewing of the mind declaration. Number two, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit convicts us and he leads us into all truth. He does that. Therefore, I will not be offended at the lifestyle of believers who do things that are clearly wrong. In fact, I will love them just as Jesus loves me through all of my sins, mistakes, and misunderstandings. I'm not washing everything away. I'm just simply saying my focus has to be here. Number three, God has never withheld himself from me and my offensiveness to him. Therefore, I will not separate myself from people who sin against me, and I will even seek to be their friends. And you know what I mean by that? If you go after me in an offensive way, I go after you in a loving way. Game on. <laughs> Put a target on your back. Go ahead. This is, this is what I think God is looking for in us. Number four, I have personally said things that have hurt others and been forgiven. Therefore, I will not be offended no matter what anyone says to me or about me. Now, I definitely am not there yet. <laughs> this is what I pray. Number five, I know that my reputation truly comes from God. Therefore, I will not be offended by anyone who seeks to smear my reputation. And I, I said this one because I've literally had people say things like, I'm not a Christian. And I had a guy, if you read my second book, there's a story in there that's a very real story where I had a guy pursue me to the point of chasing me down at my church, telling me that I wasn't a Christian, wanting to meet with me and rebuking. He, it was, anyways, read the book. It's in there. And my point was, I don't care about my reputation. I care about my example. My example is what my son sees, what my daughter sees, what my children see, what my wife receives. I care about my example and not just about my reputation. A reputation is what people hear about me, but an example is what people see in me, and this is what matters. Number seven, um, number six, the Bible teaches that I cannot understand my own heart, let alone others. Therefore, I will not be offended by trying to figure out what people really mean in their actions or words. Instead, I will choose to love them no matter what. And this matters like when you're married, you're not trying to cultivate that conversation on the couch like, what did they really mean? And I just think that was really terrible. And you just use that as a means by which to kind of cut them down and tear them down. Instead, you just go, I don't understand it. Father, I thank you for so-and-so. Would you bless them? Would you touch them? Would you fill them with the Holy Spirit? I don't want any negativity of that, of that sort to come out of, my, out of my heart. Number seven, and finally, the gospel of Jesus shows me that God loved me and served me when I was his when I was his enemy. God loved me and he served me when I was his enemy. 
Let that sink in. Therefore, I'm free to love, serve, and be friends with those who society says are my enemies and even those the church, or sometimes part of the church, says I shouldn't associate with. I'll leave that there. As I close tonight, here's what I want to do. There's a lot of material there, so you have your notes. You can reflect back on that. I was praying earlier, and I just said, Lord, I got a lot of things I'm trying to say. My goal is really just to present or represent or remind our church that our goal is to be like you in the way we act, react, and interact with people. This is, this is what I'm after. This is what I'm personally after. This is what I want to encourage us towards. I just, Lord, would you show me even how to close a service like that? And here's what I saw. I had, I had a picture. And the picture was of a person that was in a jail cell. And the jail cell was like in the middle of like, not Times Square, but like a, an open area. And they're in a jail cell and they're standing there and they're holding a key, right? The key to the, to the door. And they're looking through the bars and everybody that they're looking at that's walking around, in their mind, I could read what was in their mind, it was that everybody else that I'm looking at is in prison. When the whole time they're standing there in a prison cell with the key, but their mindset is the exact opposite. Everyone else is in prison and they're standing there like this. And you know what? When we live as offended Christians in particular, but when we live out an offended heart, it's like standing in a cell thinking that everybody else is the problem when we're standing there holding the key the entire time. Number one, we need Jesus to show us that we're the ones in the cell. And number two, we need to realize that he is always and forever the key to release us and give us the freedom that we all need. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. We're not going to get it perfect, and that's not the call that I'm giving you. But what I am saying is if you're living in a, a prison of offense, Jesus has the freedom to break the power of that jail cell right here and right now. The reason that I'm Pentecostal is because I still believe that the power that we see in the life of Jesus and setting people free is available today. He has the power right now to set us free. And I know this might be a little embarrassing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push a little bit. This is week three. I didn't want to do it on week two. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage to admit that there's something that's overwhelming you, something that's overcoming you. Sometimes we ask people to close their eyes and we ask everybody to, to not acknowledge. I don't want to do that. I just want to stand in the light with you tonight and, and, and I'm actually going to be bold enough to ask you that if you feel like you're in a prison of offense and you just keep getting offended and offended and offended, you know it's Jesus that he's the answer. I believe God will come alongside you tonight if you can acknowledge that and he will partner with you by the power of the Holy Spirit and he will start to set something in you free and you will find, maybe not, I'm not saying you're bound totally, but you will find an added freedom from today on. And I'm prophesying that over those of you that feel that that's what you need to acknowledge tonight. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And when you do, if, if that's you and you know it's you, when you stand, I'm going to pray. Go ahead, if that's you. If it's not you, I don't want you to stand. I, I, I don't want to compel you by emotion. It's by the Spirit. I'm going to pray. And if it is you and, and you're wrestling and, and you really feel like, hey, I, I, that is me, I'm going to keep, just go ahead and keep standing as I pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you are always and forever the answer for all of the issues that we face. You're the payment for our sins. You're the pattern for our life. What we see in you is what you want to do in us.
We were made in your image. You're conforming us back to the image of your son. We thank you tonight that you've set the vision for our life. And we say yes and amen to your vision. And Lord, we come and we acknowledge that there is something in us and we don't know maybe how it's there or why it's there or what the origin of it was. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it's been there a while. But Lord, we're acknowledging tonight that it's there. And we are asking for you to not only just uncover it, but we are asking for you to remove it. And I just pray all over this room, all over the balcony, and everybody that's watching, even in their room right now by live stream, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would pour out the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would experience the transforming power that the gospel promises. That we would be people that are not hurt by others, but we would be hurt for them. Tonight, would you add freedom to us? We profess that you're enough. We profess that your power is able. We profess that you are willing and able to answer the request that we're bringing to you tonight. And we pray that you would release power all over this room. Come, Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts tonight. We ask for you to show up in power. That we would be free to do what you say to do. We would be free to go where you say to go. And we would not be restricted or bound by living in offense. It's a coat that doesn't look good on us. It's something we weren't created for. And so I just pray all over this room that you would accompany your word tonight. And just pray for that over your life. Pray for that over your family. In the name of Jesus, we pray that you would move in power. We do not want to live a religious ritual. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. We want to be people that can love Judas. So we ask you to accompany our lives. That when we leave this building tonight, we would sense in ourselves a freedom from the Holy Spirit. That only you can give. And we give you glory for that tonight. We thank you that you're going to do something mighty. We thank you that you're doing surgery right here and right now. This is holy ground. So we cry out to you and we thank you. I thank you for every person. I thank you for the courage in this room tonight. Courage is that we're standing up and we're facing it head on. And we're saying that the enemy cannot and will not win because the king, whose name is Jesus, can conquer that thing in me. So we come tonight and we say thank you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in every person in this room. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. 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 I want to tell you, you can clap tonight. I took you a little long. You may not know it, but I took you a little long. I believe the Lord's going to do something. I believe he's going to break the shackles of offense in some of our lives. And I'm excited about it. God's doing something special here. I want to be a part of it.